If you're a junior high age, there's a great class that's going to be happening for you, and you can head right on out the back and uh, to your right as you go, and uh, you'll be with Pastor Kevin and some of the crew there. Well, hey, happy Saturday night. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So not happy for the rest of you? Yeah. So you're supposed to say happy Saturday night, Pastor Jared. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy because the Beavers and the Bruins are tied at halftime. And that's a very safe place for me to be right now. I don't want to know anything more about that. That's right. I'm happy because uh, I get to worship with you tonight. And, uh, you know, we resist the request of some of you to raise the volume more. Seriously, we know that the volume that's here is too loud for some and not as loud as some would prefer. Uh, we, we really get that. So we hear from both sides. And so we know that tonight, that tonight some of you wish that it could be rocking a little more. And that this is what, what happens on Saturday night. And some of you wish it were a quieter. And, and this is what happens on Saturday night. But 9 o'clock tomorrow, it's, uh, it's a mellow time for folks that, uh, that like it a little bit quieter and different, different, you know, it just works for them. So we're learning how to love each other and be a four-generation church. And do you know what I've discovered about that? It's probably not a place that I would have perfectly crafted for myself. You know, I just don't fit in the nursery very well. You know, being rocked by my mom in the, in the nursing mother's room would not be a good thing. It's just, how do, we, how do we function together as four generations with all of our differences and preferences? Well, we, we do it as well as we can in the spirit of love. And we try to provide things that will work for different people. So uh, I wasn't planning to say that, probably shouldn't have. Let's get to the Bible, okay? Huh? Let's get into this thing. Yeah. We're going to start uh, tonight. It's going to be a three-part series on 3D hope. And I am so proud of the creative team that put together a three-dimensional uh, backdrop here and just want to say thanks to you and if you're grateful as well. Yeah. So many of you serve in so many ways and some of you are just clapping because the junk came off the wall. I know. I know what's, what sponsored that. Yeah. Very fun. As we start about 3D hope, tonight I get to talk about hope here Next weekend, we'll be talking about hope near, and then Pastor Tammy, our missions pastor, will be talking about hope far. And in each of these three messages, we're going to be looking at what God is saying to us from his word about hope in you, the personal application. Tonight, I'm believing that God is going to give gifts of faith that some of you are going to, many of us tonight are going to be hearing God say words of promise that are going to be life-changing for us. Also, in each of the messages, there's going to be a piece about how we, the we piece, as a community, as a congregation of faith, get to extend hope beyond ourselves to others as well, here, near, and far. And so we get to jump in together. Do you remember a time when you were really hoping for something for your birthday? Some of us are going to have to go back a long way, right? I understand. But maybe it was a child recently or a grandkid. But the little kid is just hoping and saying, oh, this is what I want. This is what I want for my birthday. And then you know what happens when they get it and they open it? And what do they say? This is exactly what I hope for. It's exactly what I wanted. Yes. And there's this burst of joy because the hope was met. Some of you tonight are going to be confronted with the astounding news that your heavenly father gets thrilled 
when you open his gifts and you say with joy, it's exactly what I hoped for. And tonight we're going to take a look at a powerful story out of the life of Abraham and Sarah and see how it was that they experienced God's hope in their life. And as we do that, our belief is that over these three weekends together that your world will be better, our community will be better, the world will be a little better place because of what God does in us. If you have your Bibles, take a look with me at Romans chapter 4. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 17 And we'll read through verse 22, maybe on the screen as well as I read. He, Abraham, is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's what he said. Let's take a look tonight at this example of faith. It says that Abraham is the father of us all, meaning that he is the role model for us all. He is the primary example for all of us as it comes to believing in God by faith. It goes later on to say that it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's the big story that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. But he gives us this summary of three or four chapters in Genesis. You can later take a look at them. They're just really fun and exciting to read. Genesis 15, 16, 17, and 18. And he boils it down to just these couple of statements for us to give us this powerful example of Abraham's hope. And it has this interesting phrase in the middle as we start our series about 3D hope. It says, against hope... Abraham, in hope, believed. The idiom in the English language that comes from that is hope against hope. It means people who are hoping for an outcome that is probably not going to happen. Bringing hope to a situation that appears to be hopeless. To continue to have hope even though it's baseless. To hope with little reason or justification. What do we call those people? If we're nice, we call them dreamers. If we're unkind, we call them delusional. Hope against hope just doesn't make that much sense. But Abraham, who is the example to us in what it looks like to be a believer in God, hoped against hope. And there's three things that we discover about his experience. If you have notes, you can note them there. If you don't have notes, they're absolutely gorgeous And Isaac did a lot of work to put them together. Now, you'll want one. If you don't have them, would you raise your hand right now? And ushers will come and bring some. And I promised that would happen. Would you? Bring some notes on down. Very good. Thank you. The first thing that we notice is that Abraham started with who? Uh, Take a look at your notes there. The first thing that we notice is that Abraham started with who? God. God. Yeah. Now, doesn't that make sense if you're going to believe in God and have hope to start with God? 
It makes sense, but it's not usually the case. In fact, we live in a naturalistic world. And so what we see and hear and feel and taste and touch with our natural senses becomes the most common, convenient reality for us. Frankly, I don't always start with God. In fact, there's been ideas, even books written about Christians who are functional atheists. And what are they saying? I believe generally in God, but I live life in a way that is so in tune to the natural world around me that I would really be rather surprised if God intervened in some kind of supernatural way. The difference is where you start. Abraham started with God. If I start with myself, I'll end up with self-actualization. By the way, that's not a bad thing. It just doesn't allow for God's supernatural intervention. If I start with the general well-being and good-heartedness of mankind, it will lead me as far as humanism can lead me. But it won't lead me, what we call tonight, above the line. If I start with a religious system of rules to live by, I will end up as far as religion can take me, but I won't be involved in the supernatural above the line. If I decide to pick and choose from a variety of worldviews and philosophies and religion and craft my own individualistic worldview, I'll end up being a syncretist, but I won't end up inviting God's miraculous intervention in my life. I won't experience the way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in the natural, materialistic world, as it's being done above the line in heaven. That's the prayer. And where does the prayer start? Our Father who is in heaven. Abraham started with God. That makes all the difference in how the story ends out. In his life circumstance, he modeled the way for us by first starting with God. And he decided this about God, that God had these four characteristics. First of all, that this was a God who gave life to the dead. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? That's a God without time limitations. Pretty amazing. So Jesus, of course, who Abraham didn't have the privilege of meeting. I mean, we have Jesus, God's son, perfect, human, perfectly God, who showed us the way. We can understand this by looking at Jesus. Abraham didn't have that. He didn't have scripture. He didn't have Jesus. I mean, no wonder we admire this guy for his faith. But Abraham understood that God didn't have time limitations. So it was never too late with him. Jesus illustrated that when people died physically on a few occasions, and it wasn't too late for God, and Jesus raised them back to life. That's pretty remarkable. No time limitations. It's never too late for God to intervene. Wow. The second quality that Abraham noticed was that this is a God who calls things that are not as though they were. We're concerned about people who do that, aren't we? Talk about things that are not as though they were. In fact, there's special treatments for them. There's, there's whole disciplines of, of medicine and therapeutic care and places and medicines to help those of us that call things that are not as though they were. And rightly so, 
if we're on this side of the line. But with God who calls things that are not as though they were, there's no material limitations. So the issue of matter is not relevant for God. So the very first miracle that Jesus did was at a wedding. And what did he do with the water? He turned it into? He changed the physical characteristics of those elements in turning water to wine. What was he demonstrating? That matter didn't matter to God. He was not limited by the material. The third quality that Abraham understood about God was that he makes promises. He has no commitment limitations. He can promise anything he wants to promise. And fourth, that God had power to fulfill his promises. No ability limitations. Now, that's a pretty amazing God. No time limitations, no material limitations, no commitment limitations, no ability limitations. That's a God you can stake your life on. And I would suggest that if you don't believe in a God like that, it doesn't make a lot of sense to believe in a God because we can be left life to live as well as we can on our own, starting first with God. And tonight, you may be a person that's on your spiritual journey, and you've been wondering about God and about if God, and if so, who God, and what God is like. And you just heard right out of the Bible, which we understand and believe as God's inspired word to us. It's truth that he's given. It's his own revelation of himself so that we can understand him. In these couple of verses that we read, you have already discovered how great and mighty and powerful he is. We start with God first. And in your life tonight, this may be your night of saying yes to God's life in you. And how does that happen? It happens very simply. Jesus Christ, God's son, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a death on a cross, was raised back to life in what we call the resurrection from the dead by the power of God's spirit, and now lives forever to extend forgiveness to you and to me because we've all fallen short of God's goodness and glory, but receive the gift of his grace that gives us not only a fresh forgiven start, but the power of his spirit to actually live as one of his children now and forever. We start first with God. And then as we begin to walk in that relationship with God, we encounter these situations in life that are very real for us, and we make the decision time after time, day after day, I'm going to start with God, who is the God who can call dead things to life, who can talk about things that don't exist as though they did, who can make any promise he wants to make, and has the power to fulfill every promise that he has ever made. I'll start with a God like that. The second thing we discover about Abraham, and I'm smiling because I love this. I'm rubbing my hands together. Did you notice? You can tell I like this. I just love this. Abraham, secondly, faced the facts. Verse 19 says very clearly, Abraham faced the fact. And he noticed two of them very clearly, that first of all, 
Abraham was too old. And the second was that Sarah was barren. She was infertile. He faced the facts. Now, why do I get so excited about that? Because I think some Christians get kind of goofy when it comes to this piece of faith. We would really expect Abraham to say, I'm going to look at God. I'm going to fix on God. I'm going to believe God's promise. I'm only going to look at that. I'm just going to ignore what's going on around me. Now, people in the first century tried that on for size. Christians, they were called Gnostics. The word comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And they had taken a little bit of Greek philosophy and they had taken a little bit of Christian worldview and they had blended it together. And this was their conclusion, that apparently because their spiritual world is so pure and powerful and full of God, that the natural world must be deficient and ugly and unholy. So let's create distance between the spiritual world and the physical world. What they'd missed was that God made the physical world. And when he made it, he said, it's very good. Meaning that God almost had outdone himself with his own creation and nature. He loves how he created the physical world and how he created men and women to live in it and to procreate and to have stewardship responsibility. He loves his creation. So it was a false dualism between the spiritual and the natural. And as Christians began to live that dualism out, they had one of two extremes in how they chose to live. Some of them chose to ignore the natural world and especially any pleasures that might come from it. And they were those ascetics who would go out into the desert and they would do whatever they could to uh, flagellate their bodies and to deny themselves and to try to create a miserable physical environment for themselves to live in. Because anything that came from natural pleasure would not be godly. Far from the truth, but it was a direction that they went. There were the other people that went the opposite way. And some of the folks in the church at Corinth did that. If the material world didn't matter, then I can live any old stinking way I want. It doesn't make any difference anyway. I'll just indulge my old selfish, sinful, fleshly nature. And God won't mind because he doesn't really believe that this natural stuff is going on anyway. What we have in this summary of the model of faith of Abraham is that he was intensely in tune to what God was doing spiritually in making promises that he had power to fulfill and simultaneously faced the facts that were going on in his natural world around him. And you not only don't find any apology for that, we're told he's the example for us of how to deal with life. He faced the fact that he was too old to have a son, or at least he believed that he had passed the ability for him to procreate a child. The promise that you read about back in Genesis chapter 15 and 16, 17, 18, is that God had first of all said to Abraham, you're going to have a son, and that son is going to come from your own body. You are going to produce a child. That's the promise. Abraham got to a place at 99 years of age where he believed he was too old physically for that promise to come to pass. He grabbed onto the physical world, took a look at it and said, the way things work around here, down here on earth is I'm too old. I'm facing the fact. The second fact he faced was that Sarah was barren and had been infertile for life. 
So for decades, they had been trying to get pregnant and had been unable to. And what we have in these two facts, Abraham has gotten too old, Sarah is barren, are two kinds of facts. I just love this. You can tell. There's the immediate fact of the current situation, and there is the chronic fact. This is just how things always are around here. And don't we summarize problems in life around those two? They're acute or they're chronic. The acute problem that you may have tonight is something that just came up. Recently, a crisis in your life, in your family, in your home, in your work, in your community, among those that you love. Something that just came up. This was the first set of facts. Abraham finally got too old. I'm just now too old for that to happen. Or maybe the problem you're facing tonight is the chronic problem. Decades old, as Sarah's was. This is just the way I am, I guess. This is what our family is like. We've tried so many things that haven't worked. I guess it's just going to be that way for us. It's different for some people than it will ever be for us is how we end up dealing with the chronic facts below the line. So Abraham started out. He looked at God as clearly as he could. He said, this is a God who who isn't limited in any way by power or by commitment or by time or by matter. And then he looked at his facts and he said, Houston, we have a problem down here. We, We have a problem down here. I have gotten too old. And Sarah has been barren for life. We have a problem. Now, what's Abraham going to do with those two sets of facts? And that's where we come to the third point, which is he hoped against hope. Interesting. What's hope? Hope is a confident expectation. It's the hope that a child has at Christmas who has asked for a particular gift and went under the tree and shook and rattled and rolled and felt and massaged until she could confirm that the gift that she wanted was inside that box. And now it has gone from wishful thinking to absolute confidence. I know what's in that box. And why could I describe that so well? That's exactly what I did when I was a kid. And oh, the disappointment on the other side of opening the gifts. And it's exactly what I wanted. And I've known that all the time that I've gotten that. See, it's a confident expectation. That's the hope that we're talking about. So on the backside of your outline there, you'll notice a little schematic thing. And for those of you that are linear like me, you're going to really enjoy this. For the rest of me, it's colorful. And so you're supposed to enjoy the color. But this is how the hope against hope works. And let's talk about above the line and below the line. Above the line is who God is and what God says. It's God's love, first of all. It's his creativity, his faithfulness, his constant presence, his audacious promises, his unlimited power. It's his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what's above the line. Below the line is what's 
appears to be naturally true. It's what's observable and tangible and verifiable and empirical. It's hope that is produced if I expect natural laws to work out in the end. So let's play this out in the example of Abraham and Sarah. Below the line, Abraham faced the facts. He was too old. He had an acute problem. Sarah was barren. They had a chronic problem. If you add those two problems together, what will your expectation be? The hope, if you just have those two natural problems under the line, we expect not to have a kid. That's rational, isn't it? Of course. It's reasonable. If I'm expecting not to have a kid at 89 and 100 years of age, my faith about that is I'm believing we're not going to have a kid. And the results of that kind of faith will probably be we're not going to have a kid. That's how it works. That's how some Christians can believe in God and function as atheists because they are so in tune to below the line in the natural world, all they do is face the facts and look at natural law and order and assume that that's what's always going to occur. And if the diagnosis is this, and if the treatments are this, and if the prognosis is here, I'm likely going to have the hope of this kind of an outcome. And with that kind of an outcome, it's probably going to have that kind of a result, living below the line. Now, let's flip it to above the line where Abraham lived and he became a great example. Above the line, God said, Abraham, you're going to have a son and that son is going to be procreated physically and biologically through your body. And Abraham's response to that, oh, you'll love reading it. You know what he did? He hit the dust laughing. That's what he did. Funniest thing he heard of. That was his first response to the promise. By the way, if God says a promise to you, if the Holy Spirit gives you a gift of faith tonight, if he brings in your mind and in your heart a word of promise about a situation in your life, and your first response is to kind of doubt it and go, I don't know if that could be God, that doesn't scare him away. Abraham heard the promise, and he's the example to us. In fact, it's likely that the first time we hear a promise, we might kind of go, I wonder if that's just me thinking. Abraham hits the dust. He's rolling on the floor. He's laughing because this is the funniest thing he's heard of. He finally gets up, brushes himself off. God shows up a little bit later, physically. Now, why did God show up physically to Abraham? You ever wish God would show up to you physically? That'd be handy, wouldn't it? Well, again, he didn't have the Bible. He didn't have the example of Jesus. He didn't have the church. I mean, this guy was so low. God had to get to him. So God showed up in physical form with two other friends. and They showed up at Abraham and Sarah's tent. And extending good Middle Eastern hospitality, Abraham got a big meal fixed, and they sat down to eat the meal. And God said to Abraham, and of course, in that culture, Sarah couldn't join the meal, but she was in the tent door just behind the guys, So she was listening in. God says to Abraham, by the way, I'm going to come visit the two of you in about a year from now and visit your little baby boy. And Sarah split a gut laughing. Funniest thing she'd ever heard of. 89 years old and my husband and I are going to have the pleasure of having a baby. 
And God said, Sarah, why are you laughing? And she hollered back to God, "Eh, not me laughing, not me. He said, yes, it was. Yes, it was you. It was. What was her first response above the line? It was to doubt it, wasn't it? God came through and said, listen, I made a promise. I'm going to visit the two of you in a year, and I want to meet your son. Wow. Above the line? God who can call dead things to life? It's never too late. The God who can talk about things that are not, a son a year from now, as though they were, because he functions outside of the limitations of space and time, and from his eternal point of view, everything can be to him simultaneously real and now. The God who does not have commitment issues, he can make any commitment he wants to make, and he has never not fulfilled a commitment that he's made. And the God who has the power to back it up, So whatever he says he's going to do, he can do. And Abraham had a few months to wander around and decide where he was going to lock in his hope. The hope below the line, though it's rational and made sense, and is the natural order of things, and it's how God generally put things in motion to work. I'm too old. Sarah's barren. I'm not expecting a son We're believing for no son. Hope. Or the hope against that hope. I said, God made a promise. He has the power to fulfill his promises. He said we were going to have a baby together a year from now. I'm going to decide to lock in and praise him for who he is. And I'm going to decide to give my attention to a God that makes promises and has the power to fulfill them. And I'm going to place most of my attention believing and creating and adding to and growing stronger in a hopeful confidence that I'd rather stake my future on God's promise than on what naturally and usually happens around me. And he hoped against hope. And it was counted to him as the right thing to do. Righteousness. So tonight, we have an amazing opportunity, don't we? To hear what God is saying to us or to be reminded of what he has spoken to us. In just a minute, not quite yet, but in just a minute, the, the team is going to come out. And, and as the worship team plays and sings a song, it's going to be a gift for all of us. And it's going to be a gift not only for each of us as individuals, but for us as a community as well. Because this thing about hope in this season of time as we move toward Thanksgiving and in toward Christmas, this is a season of time that God is wanting to build life in you and he's wanting to give life through us. And so tonight he's building hope in you and he is building hope in us and giving us ways to share with others. Let me just finish with this story. I'll mention a couple of applications for us together, and then the team will come. Ann and I had been uh, married for, I don't know, two, three years, and uh, Jordan uh, wasn't around yet, so you've heard this story, but you didn't have to suffer your way through it. This was the mom and dad got to suffer on this one. Uh, Some of you have gotten to know us. Ann and I, just uh, we think that we're... uh, uh, 
live a wonderful, vibrant, exciting, busy life. And uh, when we were in our mid-20s, it was exactly the same kind of life. It was just kind of on steroids. It was just kind of more of that. And we were doing a whole variety of things. that had planted a church, and it was doing well. And I was working full-time in insurance, and Anne was working. We were managing apartments, and we would bought a crummy little sixplex, and we fixed them up, and we'd rented them out, and we were living in a little house, and kind of the money was working, and sometimes it didn't work that well, but we were having a great life. And a couple of friends of ours, a couple, came to our home one evening, and they said, Uh, we're being transferred to Scotland for six months. And we'd like for the two of you to come live in our house for free for six months. There are some things that I pray about, and there are some things that I just know that God must be in. And that was one of those, the good deal. And they had a lovely home, and it was beautiful. And the only deal was that they would put all of their stuff in one room. We, we had the rest of the house. They were going to leave their furniture, which was nicer than ours too, and we could come live in their house for free for six months. It was so great. But they said, this is the deal. On the 15th of October, you have to move out because we are moving back in on the 16th of October. We said, not a problem. Well, we got to August, and began to dawn on me as I was doing my quiet time one morning, it's probably time to be praying about the next place that we should live. And so I prayed about it, and I began to think about it as well as pray about it. Lord, provide a place for us above the line, and then think about it below the line. Abraham believed God and faced the facts. The facts were that our experience was that every time that we had found a place, we looked for it. Has that generally been your experience? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm bugged by people that don't take that kind of personal responsibility because they just hang out, right, and get into a self-induced crisis, and then they ask good, responsible people like you to bail them out. Isn't that how that works? So I prayed about it above the line, and then I said, and we need to start looking for a place, and we'll start checking things out and get the word out and start looking at ads. And I felt like, I felt like the Lord said to me, I don't want you to find a place this time. I want you to watch me provide your next house for you. Well, I hit the floor laughing. I was going to say stirring up dust. That would not have been an accurate or a kind thing to say. I, like Abraham, my first response was, that's the craziest idea I've ever heard. And then the next day it was, I don't want you to find your next house. I want you to watch me provide your next place. So I thought, I probably should tell Anne this crazy idea that I'd been hearing. And I mentioned it to Anne. And to my chagrin, she actually didn't say that's the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. She actually said, I think that's exactly what God is saying to us. So now at least we're in this mess together. (laughs) It improved my life for the next few weeks. I didn't have to work. I mean, are we all into that or what? I didn't have to look for a place. And every day above the line, Lord, you've made a promise you'd show us the place. And you have power to fulfill that. And, and I began to look at Scripture, and I saw that that was so consistent with how God, Old Testament and New Testament, had intervened in the lives of people from time to time in wanting them to not just live life on the natural level, even though he set natural laws in motion, and it's a part of his creation, but he wanted me to experience above-the-line moment with him. Well, let's force the time quickly forward. It's the 15th of October. We didn't have much stuff. I borrowed brother-in-law's pickup with a little canopy on it, and we stuck all of our stuff in the pickup and cleaned up the house, and I'm heading out to work. 15th of October. Did I mention that? The 15th of October. Anne's going to leave the house shortly after I do. She's going to lock it behind her. We're done. We're done with the house. And I uh, give Anne a hug and give her a kiss before I leave. 
and I held on longer than usual, and hot tears started going down my face. And these are tears of anxiety and stress, friends, because this is when push comes to shove. Because I did mention that it's the 15th (laughs) of October, and I'm not coming back to this house. I'm going to go to work, and after work, I'm going to drive the borrowed pickup with our stuff to the house that God provides that he hasn't bothered to give us the address for (laughs) yet. Yeah. It felt like I was in a fight for my life. The fight to believe God. And who really knows for sure if you heard God? Huh? The fight against my own sense of pride, not wanting to look stupid. My own good sense of personal responsibility. We're responsible to find our next place. No one else is. And the not-so-minor inconvenience of sleeping in the front of a pickup truck that night. So I go to work, and I'm there, and a guy comes across the street from the post office, and he bops in the office, and he sits down. Hey, what's going on? I said, oh, life is good. And he says, "Uh, I noticed a pickup out there. What's that all about? And I said, oh, yeah, I borrowed it. It's my brother-in-law. He said, how come? His name was Mel. Very nosy man, Mel. I said, well, we're moving today. He said, oh, that's great. Where are you moving? I said, Mel, I don't have a clue. He said, really? That's very interesting, he said. And he left. Good friend. Left. So it was about an hour later. Mel gives me a call. And he said, did you say you were moving today? I said, yes. He said, did you say you didn't know where you were moving? I said, yes. He said, you know, when I left, uh, one of our mutual friends, his name's Steve, he's a realtor. Steve came to mind because Steve just became the executor of a widow's estate, and she's given it to some Christian organizations, and like they tend to do, they're fighting over the estate, and there's a beautiful home in the nicest section of town, and it's empty, and he just told me the other day that he needs to get someone in there because he's afraid it will be vandalized, and this thing may take forever to be resolved, and he said, I just gave him a call, and he's probably going to call you. I think he'd love for you and Ann to come live in that house. It's ready for you right now. That's what he said. Yes, yes, yes. So, of course, I called Ann, and I said... If I only hadn't cried that morning, I could have. (laughs) Oh, 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 yeah. So what's God saying to you? Hmm. You know where we get really confused about this? Jesus let most dying people die, didn't he? He didn't intervene with natural created law and order all the time. And Abraham knew that God did not have to intervene when it was too late and they were too old. But God decided that he would. So where is it that Jesus wants to turn water into wine in your life? God only knows 
But by his spirit, he gives us these wonderful promises. And his wonderful promises are often felt in our heart and thought with our mind. And there's a combination sense of that is different than when I just think about things. And then we're humble about that. We, we check it out with others and we bounce it off of them for their confirmation of the Spirit. And we look in God's Word to see if that's consistent with ways that He has intervened in lives of other people and consistent with promises that He's given as well. And then like Abraham, we decide where we're going to put our hope. And my invitation to you tonight is would you put your hope against hope and let God be God our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven that's his promise for us tonight and what's God doing in this season through us Why is it that we are going to do kind and loving things for people in our community who are experiencing a time of need? And in three weeks from tonight and that weekend and then the following weekend, the weekends before and after Thanksgiving, we're going to be receiving a a special offering as we do around the holidays. It's going to be for three or four different things. The one I'm mentioning tonight is it'll be for benevolence, for care for people in our own congregation. I think in the last 10, uh, 10 months of this year that uh, 24, 24 families in our church have been helped in substantial ways because last Christmas, a family gave a gift of $5,000. And then others over time have given some as well. Far more than that's been given. But 24 families in this church this year have been substantially helped because money has been received from others who have means. And part of that offering we're going to be seeing. And what is that? It's God who loves bringing hope to intervene in the real-life circumstances of some of our brothers and sisters. Also on the way out a little bit later this evening, you're going to be, uh, have the opportunity to pick up uh, a grocery bag. And on the front of it, there's going to be a list of items from which you can choose to buy and put in the bag. Because at our uh, pantry, that's uh, been called the Sunday, pan- Sunday Pantry, we're calling it the Evergreen Food Bank. In this last year, uh, you'll want to know this number. It's just astounding, the number of people who have been served and cared for there. Um, every week, the pantry feeds 305 people, families, families. That's 1,248 people each week. And in the, th- the three weeks between now and Thanksgiving, we're going to invite you to take these and fill them up as much as you want with the items that are here and bring them back. And these are going to be Thanksgiving meals that are going to be distributed through the bank as well. And why do we do that? Because we're do-gooders? Because we just want to be kind? Because it's the holidays and we feel charitable? No. Because this is what Paul prayed, that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace as we are trusting in him so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, hope might spill out from us on others. Your acts of kindness are gifts of hope intervening in the lives of others in Jesus' name. As the team gives us the gift of this song, would you listen for what God might be saying? to you.
turn from myself to look beyond There's something more than this In lies only to see it, to believe it Lies only to see it, to believe it Cause I can't shake this fire deep inside my heart Look to the skies Hope arise, see his majesty reveal. More than this love, there is love, there is hope that is his Cause I don't need to see it to believe. I don't need to see it to believe Cause I can't shake this fire burning deep inside my heart Every heart will see so we have a year. 